0: Hello, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Karl, and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. It's been a big week, uh, Rick, and it's only I think Wednesday.
1: I think I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have confirmation.
0: So we had Mueller's first move, uh, first shots, indictment of Rick Gates and Paul Manafort, and now the now uh, the now famous George Papadopoulos uh, and that plea agreement. We're going to get to all that in a minute, but. Um, uh, you know, the the more pressing news for now, obviously, is this terrorist attack in New York City and the way the president has responded to it
1: happening in his hometown. And, and it seems to fit the worldview that he puts forward. And, you know, I was uh, musing on this this morning in the note and say, which Trump are we going to see? Is he going to go ahead and, and play politics or is he going to be uniter? And, of course, he answered that question within a matter of hours. Sorry, what was the answer? I think this president is a divider and not a uniter. And that is the default for the president. And he looked to this incident and immediately found ways to make his political case, to make his argument. Uh, And he is already, as you know, John, beginning to take action or say he's taking action to address what he believes in the middle of an investigation was one of the contributing factors to this
0: incident. So, uh, you know, uh, much of the discussion on this has been the, 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 the fact that he came out Even before speaking on this, uh, he went to Twitter, of course, and started launching into attacks on Chuck Schumer, very personal attacks uh, for this diversity visa program that goes back to 1990. I had to do a quick search on this because I wasn't all that up to speed on this, (laughs) I have to admit. Uh, But it did pass pass as part of a a larger immigration reform bill in 1990, was signed into law by George H.W. Bush. And there was a congressman from New York City— Named Chuck Schumer, a House member, uh, who did vote for it and had been in favor of this uh, of this diversity uh, visa program.
1: That's right, and and we know that um, the, the the suspect in this attack uh, came under that program. He came seven years ago. Uh, so that's a that's a bit of a that's a bit of a stretch. But uh, you, you know, it also ignores some of the more recent history where Chuck Schumer was trying to get rid of this as part of a comprehensive immigration reform bill. But to President Trump, this cleanly made the argument that he wants to make, and and it put him in a policy direction that he wants to go. And it took almost no time. You contrast that to the response or lack of policy response to Las Vegas, which, by the way, John was only a month ago, believe right. it or not. And and that's we heard over and over again from the White House: it's too soon to have this. We have to find the facts before we can start to have a policy argument. The president was rewriting oh, right policy away. on Twitter within minutes.
0: Within minutes, yeah. So uh, let's, let's take a look. We, we uh, listen here. Actually, we do, we do listens, Listening not looks more. here on yeah. the podcast. Um, the, the president had his, has a cabinet meeting and, of course, uh, spent a good deal of time talking about what happened in New York. Let's take a listen. We have to get much tougher. We have to get much smarter. And we have to get much less politically correct. We're so politically correct that we're afraid to do anything. And that's been a theme that ran throughout. Uh, He also uh, doesn't want to see us as a laughingstock. We need quick justice and we need strong justice. Much quicker and much stronger than we have right now. Because what we have right now is a joke and it's a laughingstock. And we learned a little bit about where he would like to see uh, the um, the attacker in this uh, go. Mr. President, do you want the assailant from New York to Gitmo? Thank you, Major. Thank you. Uh, Mr. I would certainly consider that. Yes, are you considering I can. Cons- I would certainly consider that. You- Send him to Gitmo. Sounds like uh, the idea hadn't really uh, crossed <laughs> his mind yet. Thank you, Major Garrett.
1: And a campaign slogan was born. <laughs> and and it, I, this is campaign Trump. This is. This is guy that's t- testing out a bunch of lines, and we saw him do it. We even jumping on the news at the time. It's just different when it's President Trump, and we're used to having presidents who look for moments of unity and national healing. This is something that he f- must feel deeply. It happened in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, clear, uh, clear, clearly a motive of a, of terrorism. Uh, we understand that this is someone who's an ISIS sympathizer doing it under the name of ISIS, uh, and it's a horrific thing to have happened right here in the president's own hometown. But that is not the immediate reaction of empathy or, or healingness or togetherness. He was immediately on the attack. That's the Trump way.
0: And and channeling some of the raw anger that people have, uh, uh, just right, rightly so, for seeing an attack like this play out. But what was interesting in the tweets that came out early this morning uh, was this kind of drumbeat against Chuck Schumer, you know, Chuck's baby, this, this, uh, this diversity visa program. And we heard Chuck Schumer respond to this, uh, uh, first of all, expressing outrage that the president would be politicizing something like this. And by the way, Chuck is the Chuck Schumer is the senator from New York where the attack took place. right? Um, but what I found maybe a little discouraging to be honest, Rick, is that Schumer's response, as soon as he got done, criticizing, condemning the president for politicizing this proceeded to, well, politicize. Take a listen. If he really wanted to do something, the way we can stop terrorism is anti-terrorism funding to help our New York police department and all of our police departments. He cut that in the budget he proposed. Yeah, I mean, okay. So we can have a debate over his budget, and his budget cut everything. It wasn't like, it, you know, but... And it's a proposed budget, and it's not going to really go into effect. But... I mean, come on. So proposed cuts in Trump's budget somehow makes this terrorist attack uh, or an attack like this more possible? I mean, what what – I mean, is there any connection between this guy? Is this why the guy went to a Home Depot and, and rented a truck and mowed people down? Because there wasn't enough in the New York City terrorist, you know, uh, budget? Yeah, good luck making Anti- that decision. You
1: know, John, we've talked a lot on- of course. Can was. anybody take the
0: high road? Well, John- I'm I, serious. We,
1: we've talked a lot on this show and, and in other platforms about the things that President Trump figured out about politics and about politicians. And I would argue to you that one of them is that That holier than thou attitude that they have—it is there's a—it's a facade, and a lot of people see through it. And you're right, people play politics all the time. President Trump is just more more blatant about it. He's maybe quicker on the trigger finger, but we knew that as soon as you hear about any incident in the United States, no matter how horrific, politics breaks out at some point. He just goes there first, and he goes there maybe dirtier and quicker, uh, and without uh, often looking at all the facts. fitting it into his own worldview, but he gets to the same place that other politicians do, maybe he 's just better at it
0: and all this happening against the backdrop of of Mueller after all these months of, of investigating, we have Mueller taking action, yeah, and, and we and, had the two stories, and you and I have been kind of had an ongoing debate here over which one was the uh, the bigger story we 're going to be talking shortly. With uh, with Senator Lankford of Ohio, who is a Oklahoma, uh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma. Yeah, I meant by Ohio, I meant Oklahoma. Sure, sure. You know what I'm saying? Um, who uh, is a, uh, a Republican member of the Senate Intelligence Committee that's been looking into uh, the issue of Russian interference and uh, you know, by extension, the the question of whether or not there was any collusion between the Russians and anybody associated with the Trump campaign. So, be very interested to hear what he has to say uh, about Mueller's move, which says nothing uh, with the indictment of, of Manafort and his deputy, Gates. Uh, it says absolutely nothing about the Trump campaign, let alone collusion. But we do have this Papadopoulos indictment, which shows that this guy who was, a, I mean, I, trust me, he was a incredibly minor player uh, in, in, in Trump campaign world. We never even hit um, on the
1: podcast. He didn't even come on. I mean, yeah, he yeah. never
0: appeared on the podcast, yeah. not even once. I should tell you everything you need to know. Um, uh, but I mean, he was certainly, um, I don't know, colluding with the Russians, but Talking to uh, yeah. talking to uh, you know Russian operatives or or those claiming to be Russian operatives,
1: and th- and that's where this gets so interesting because this to me was a show of force from Bob Mueller that went at the top and the bottom, and it means that you could trickle through. Uh, possible connections all throughout the Trump organization, uh, the Trump campaign, and even the Trump White House. You go after Manafort and Gates, as you mentioned, conduct that happened before uh, uh, the the campaign, much less the presidency, although it it may shed some light on some contacts they had internally. But Papadopoulos raises so many questions, because first of all, we know that he's been cooperating with investigators. We don't know to what extent or whether he's turned on other people. uh, But we know that he's got these emails that that point to another instance, we already had the Don Jr. instance, but another instance where people inside the Trump campaign at least thought they were getting damaging information about Hillary Clinton directly from Russian operatives, including uh, the tantalizing suggestion that they had emails. We don't know which emails. We know it was before, though, even the Podesta emails were leaked. So all of this out there, and Papadopoulos leads this into a lot of intriguing questions that, that, uh, frankly, has to leave anyone around Trump or in the Trump orbit very uncomfortable. Because this means that Mueller has got the goods on at least one of these potential schemes, and we don't know where else it's going to go. It's a time of unease, wouldn't you say, John, at the White House right now. They just don't know what's going to happen next, but there's a sense that something will happen, that this was the beginning of the story and not the end.
0: And meanwhile, you have uh, Steve Bannon gave a very interesting little interview with the uh, the Washington Post, quoted in the Washington Post, saying essentially that it's time to go after Mueller. Mm. It's time to go after Mueller. the white House should be should be much more aggressive in, in, in hitting back uh, instead of just talking about how we're cooperating and you know and, and, and not criticizing and then go, he goes even stronger after Republicans on the hill who say should immediately end all of these Russian investigations, push back hard, start hammering at Mueller. Although I do – I did find it interesting Is even as he's saying this, not even Steve Bannon is suggesting it would be a good idea to fire Mueller.
1: <laughs> I, so I, I read this maybe in a slightly different way. I don't think that Bannon believes that the president is going to actually defund uh, Bob Mueller or fire Bob Mueller. And, and he's not calling for he's it. Not, well, he's, he's calling on, on clipping his wings at least in a big effort to defund and calling on Capitol Hill. But he's telling President Trump exactly what Donald Trump wants to hear. And Bannon is angling for influence, to my mind, Another outside issue. the White House. He knows that this—to to be the voice who's saying, go tough on this guy, go go brutal on, on Mueller. Trump wants to hear that from somebody, even though he
0: knows, at least at this stage, he can't act on that advice. And then you had um, the uh, chief of staff, John Kelly, give an interview with Laura Ingram. And by the way, what, what did you make of the overall of uh, of that interview? I mean, we kind of like— you know, there tends to be a sense to roll one's eyes when you know another, you know, interview with the president or one of the top white house officials on Fox. They don't do a lot of interviews elsewhere. What's, you know, what's this all about? Um, you know, the idea of this is kind of a friendlier audience, you know, going and sitting down with Sean Hannity again. But I thought that the the uh, Laura Ingraham interview was was quite was quite good. She 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 pressed him, she followed up uh, uh pretty aggressively on some questions. It wasn't it wasn't a hostile interview, an aggressive interview, but I thought um, I thought it was quite different than what we've seen in, in a lot of, for instance, like a Sean Hannity interview.
1: Oh, I agree. And Laura ingram 's going to hold the president accountable to some of the campaign she promises. Is. Yeah, she's uh, tough. I think that, that comes through. And I think, I, I think Kelly, as he goes out there, not so tentatively anymore. He's been out there quite a bit. It's been interesting because you've seen a whole wave of commentary from people saying – well, maybe John Kelly isn't quite who we thought John Kelly was. There was a sense that he was brought in there. He was a a, a military guy. He was just going to impose that discipline on the White House. We saw him rolling his eyes and had that uncomfortable body language when Trump went off on odd tangents. There was a sense, you know, one friend of ours said it's almost like he's the new uh, Javanka. People on, on the left and the center said, well, at least John Kelly's in there, to speaking, you know, sensible, mainstream, maybe even liberal advice. Guess what? That's not who John Kelly is. Yeah. And you're starting to see flashes in this interview and elsewhere uh, that uh, tell you why he's on President Trump's good side. Why the president wanted them to be the guy who's going to be at his side through everything.
0: Yeah, and 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 he expressed this great optimism um, from the White House perspective that uh, that that the uh, Mueller investigation is going to wrap up soon. He's getting to the end of the witness pile. <laughs> he's uh, this is going to wrap up soon. He, by the way, did something just showing that Kelly. One thing is he's not a politician. Um, he said the president is very distracted by mm. the Mueller investigation. <laughs> uh, you know, the first rule of being a White House official is you never acknowledge that the president's distracted from anything.
1: The he, mission is, is serving yes, the American never people never distracted every day. by anything. Yes, that's right. Nothing that's
0: at right. all. I mean, you know, you know, Bill Clinton was never distracted by that whole <laughs> Monica Lewinsky stuff. I mean, not at all. Not at all. Um, but, um but i i pressed uh uh sarah Huckabee sanders on this or asked her uh what, what about this uh you know just how distracted he is and where this confidence comes from Uh, that the investigation is about to end. Take a listen.
1: I don't think it's at all affecting his ability to get his job done, and that wasn't the point he was making. Uh, You guys seem completely obsessed with this. While there are a lot of other things happening around the country, and frankly a lot of other things that people care a lot more about, the media refuses to cover it, and I think that's the distraction. Instead of the focus being constantly on tax cuts and tax reform, my guess is if you look at the records, the questions that I take in here day out, have far more to do with an investigation uh, that, frankly, most Americans don't care too much about and a whole lot less to do with policies that actually impact them.
0: Why, why are you Glenn? so confident that the investigation won't go on much longer?
1: Uh, because we, we have uh, confidence that it's going to come to a close in short time.
0: <laughs> so why are you confident it's not going to go on much longer because we have confidence it's going to close?
1: Well, I, I wonder how much of it is—, is By insane. the way, I think
0: he's just getting started. Uh, it certainly feels like it, right? I mean, obviously, they've got information
1: that we don't because White House lawyers are talking to him and cooperating. And we know exactly as much about Bob Mueller's probe as Bob Mueller wants us to know about Bob Mueller's probe. But I think those initial blasts that he fired off suggest a guy that, yeah, he's digging in. He's already got the goods on a couple of big fish. I mean, the idea that the campaign manager, a former campaign manager, and his, and his top deputy campaign already chairman. indicted. Sorry. Sorry. Well, he was a manager as well at, at, at mm-hmm. one point. But yes, campaign chairman, technically, uh, the, the fact that he's they're already indicted. You have already got a guilty plea against someone, someone who's flipped on them, uh, someone that could implicate people that are even in the administration right now. That's kind of a big deal. But we haven't heard about Carter Page. We haven't heard about Mike Flynn yet. He's got other bullets to, to, to fire even separate from this, this. It seems that Mueller is going at this in a methodical way that, yeah, guess what? It is distracting to the White House.
0: And no indication, by the way, that Mueller is going to go anywhere near that red line that the president uh, uh, invoked in that interview with The New York Times a while back. That, that, you know, if he ever went into the Trump Organization's finances, Maggie Haberman asked, would that be a red yeah. line? And he said, yes, it would be. Uh, there's no indication. We've heard, we've heard no information that the Trump Organization has been asked to turn over any financial records or any records uh, at all. So except for those related to the campaign, directly related to the campaign, um, I spoke uh, to a um, – let's just say a senior Democrat on this who think who, – whose view is that the most vulnerable area for the president would be if, if, if there was a real effort to look at his personal finances, mm-hmm. you know, get into the tax returns and, 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 and all the activities of the Trump organization over the years. Well, I see no indication that's happening yet or will happen with Mueller it's certainly not happening with the congressional investigations. And if that's not going to be the area this goes, you know, maybe there isn't much of a of, of a need for the for the president himself and his you know, his his most senior team to be worried.
1: Let me offer a big old butt Okay, to that. Go ahead. Okay. He did go after Paul Manafort's finances. He spent there, a lot on rugs, by the way. Did you notice oh my that? My goodness. So yes. Did go- you know you could spend that much on you probably did, but I didn't know you could spend no, that much, that, that I, much you know, on rugs. you know, I I
0: just remember, you know, the um you know uh, the big Lebowski. You know that, you get that room, <laughs> it really, room <laughs> really ties the room together. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, he spent. I mean, it was like a hundred grand on, at, at a rug store. That's what's called a lavish life. No, no, it was more I than mean, that? How much was it? I think it was one hundred eighty. Yeah, yeah, a
1: lot of money spent on 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 high end rugs. But I, to me, I read that as a warning.
0: Was it more than that? Can we get our people time. on what's this? It? it was a lot of money, and and he had about a one point mil- five million at two different. A clothing, clothing stores. stores. Yeah. Now, Rick, I know you wear really good suits. Men's I mean, I've Warehouse seen. Has yes, forty
1: percent off. Mean, buy one, yeah, yeah. Can exactly. you? It was. A, I mean, wow. It's hard. It's hard to imagine rolling like that. But I think to me, I read just something of a message in. I can do this. Look! Look what I can do here. The finances. The tax evasion. That's, how, that, that's kind of a tried-and-true prosecutorial technique. To me, no, no indication that he's got Trump there, but we know that Mueller goes there, and he's able to go there. And to me, that was just a little hint of what could be out there. As you mentioned, that's the red line, and that might be what provokes him. Jay Sekulow, the, the president's attorney on the outside, was interviewed by our colleague George Stephanopoulos the other day. He made the point that he hasn't done anything—Mueller hasn't done anything so far— that would uh, suggest misconduct. We know what the president has drawn that line. That might be what draws the big clash. For now, though, the president's going to be stuck with the fact that he no longer controls the arc of his presidency. Bob Mueller does.
0: All right, well, we have to take a quick break, Rick. When we come back, we're going to talk to Senator Lankford, and we'll find out what's really going on. Here on Cape Cod, the summer is wonderful. This is a place where people leave their doors open. 911, the sign's recorded, what is your emergency? It's Crystal Woody. I don't know what happened, I think she fell down or something, I'm, I'm sure she's dead. A killing on the cake. There hadn't been a murder in Truro for 30 years. It was everyone's
1: worst nightmare. Jealousy, anger, secrets, sex, and money. Believe me,
0: everyone in this story had a motive.
1: I couldn't imagine who could have killed her.
0: Six heart-pounding podcasts. Follow the clues, the evidence, the new interviews. Listen now. And then, don't miss the explosive two-hour documentary television event, Friday night, November 24th, on ABC. Is the right man in jail? Hello, you
2: have one new voice
0: message. Hey, Christina, I'm frustrated. I still want to do whatever I can until we find out what happened. A murder on Orchard Street. The trigger man, he's out there somewhere. Where'd that gun go? His story is all right. I hope that killer always sleeps with his eye open. Seven heart-pounding episodes streaming on ABCnews.com with reports on ABC's Nightline and listen to the podcast. Dive into the case. Help catch a killer.
2: Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? <laughs>
1: No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Arianna Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on
0: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We're going to get to Senator Lankford in just a moment. But Rick, we got to make a correction here. I mean, I... Uh, I threw out the number of $100,000 as the amount that, uh, that Manafort spent on rugs. You suggested maybe it was a little bit more than that. Uh, it was a lot more than that. We had our team of fact-checkers look into this. According to the, uh, the Mueller indictment, uh, Manafort spent $934,000 on rugs. Rick, that by my calculation, that's, that's pretty close to a million dollars on rugs. You could buy every rug at Ikea for that. I mean, all. Well, get, just get them all. That,
1: I, that, I just, uh, that, that, just, that boggles the mind.
0: Like I said, it really, really tied the room and probably a few <laughs> rooms together, uh, no doubt no doubt about that. Uh, at any rate, now, uh, let's get to our guest. And we're joined now by Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, Republican member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Thank you for joining us, Senator.
2: Glad to be able to join you.
0: So I don't know if you saw this, but there was quite a an attack on you and your colleagues in the washington post from steve bannon today didn't mention you by name to be fair um but uh bannon uh was making the case that that the republicans should move to immediately stop all of these uh all the of the russia investigations on the hill and should start going after robert Mueller. um do you what's your what's your take on this
2: well, clearly the Russians are still actively engaged. They would love, love nothing more for us to just move along and to say there's nothing here. Uh, they're going to continue to be able to press the way they're going to press. Robert Mueller, we want him to be able to finish the job that he's got, to be able to get it done. It's best for the country for him to be able to resolve the issues and the questions that he has, get those resolved, and be able to allow everyone to move along. So that, my, my biggest fear all along with a special counsel, is that there is no deadline on it. And if we go back to the 1980s, the special counsel around the time of President Reagan was six years. President Reagan was out of office and the special counsel is still working. Uh, So that, I I don't want this to drag on forever, but it is best for the country if it gets it resolved.
0: Because the way Bannon was making, uh, portraying this, is that what you as Republicans in Congress should be doing is standing up for your president, your Republican president. He said, and it's typical Bannon color, the Republicans are like church mice, no support of the president, totally gutless. The Hill needs to step up. You're on the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee. You are on uh, uh, the committee, you know, one of the central committees investigating and in all, all this. Do you see it as your role to, in Bannon's words, to, to stand up for the president?
2: No, I, I don't see it as my role. I see it as my role to be able to get all the facts out, get the facts resolved as fast as possible. I think it's best for the president and for the presidency if we handle this right, everyone looks at it as a fair process and moves along. Now, where the where the media or whether Mueller or whether anyone else is in an investigation that's unfair, I think we should call it for what it is. If it's an unfair accusation and a twist of something – call it out and to be able to say, hey, everybody stay in bounds on this, but I think everyone should be fair uh, in the process. But I do think it's best to be able to get it done. I I thought it was unfair, for instance, this weekend uh, that as soon as it leaked out uh, that there would be indictments on Monday, there was this speculation and all these accusations that happened all weekend long. And then the actual uh, indictments come out, uh, and they are a bunch of nothing on it. And there are things that are dealing with previous campaign issues, or things not connected to the campaign, Or shock among all shocks, the Russians were reaching out uh, to some of the Trump administration or some of the Trump campaign people, uh, George Papadopoulos in this case, and then he lied to the FBI about it. Well, you know what? If you lie to the FBI about that, you should have to be able to face indictment on that. So I shouldn't have to be able to cover somebody for cheating on their taxes or for um, uh, leveraging uh, some some sort of influence inappropriately, not declaring that you're a foreign agent or hiding money in Cyprus. I'm not going to protect somebody in that. Uh, but if somebody's actually doing the right thing and they're getting falsely accused, absolutely, I will.
1: So, do you do you think that 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 what's come out so far is is kind of a, a shoulder shrug? You're you're not surprised by any of it? Were you aware of the Papadopoulos contacts in in, yeah, in particular? So,
2: uh, again, we we have a little different feel, and those of us on the intelligence community, because we've been very in depth on a lot of these interviews. We've gone through a lot of interviews. We've gone through a lot of documents, literally through a hundred thousand pages of documents a uh, hundred and some odd, I can't even remember what the number is, total interviews so far. Uh, so we're very familiar with a lot of these issues. There were no surprises for me in what actually happened uh, on Monday. Uh, but uh, m- my interest on this is, get all the facts out, let the facts go where the facts go, but get it done in an expeditious way.
1: So how does it impact you? So you you regroup after the flurry on Monday, and it it doesn't seem to have materially changed your understanding of any of the issues, but does it it change the focus of your inquiry now that you know a little bit about where Mueller is going, uh, or are you just traveling in a totally different lane?
2: Yeah, we're in, a, we're in a completely different lane. We're in a policy lane. Uh, Mueller's in a criminal lane. If there's a criminal activity that he's trying to look at that, we're trying to examine long-term what happens, uh, what policies need to be evaluated, what documents have we gone through. Did the FBI do a thorough search? Did they do a fair search on it? How did they make decisions? Uh, when they made decisions about jumping in to be able to start an investigation, that was based on what? Uh, were they lured into something that they should not have been uh, uh, there's all kinds of questions that, that need to be asked, but they're policy-related, but it's also armchair quarterbacking everyone. Uh, if someone made a statement and said, this is what we see as the facts, we should be able to look behind the curtain and to be able to see the original documents and how they came to that conclusion uh, so that we can also get a, a nonpartisan uh, look at it and to be able to say, okay, we w- we think you saw everything or we think you didn't see everything, and to be able to go through it.
0: But one thing that would clearly be In your lane is the question of whether or not there was any collusion between anybody associated with the trump campaign and the russian efforts to interfere with the election you've been looking at this for months right can you now say that there was no definitively what's what the president wants is certainly what bannon wants republicans up there to say can you now say definitively that there was no collusion between the trump campaign or associates of the trump campaign and the Russians in terms of that effort to to, uh, to interfere with the election.
2: All right. So everyone's going to read this wrong. But let me go ahead and say this. I really am trying as a member of the Intelligence Committee, as a person that's, that's on this committee, that we're trying to get a nonpartisan decision at the end of it. I'd rather not prejudge where we're heading at the end. Uh, but everyone's going to say, oh, my gosh, there must be something there. All I'm saying is, as a member of this committee, I don't feel the privilege to be able to speak for the whole committee because I'm on it. Uh, and to be able to say what conclusions that we've actually come to on it, uh, I would tell you I wasn't surprised by Monday and uh, the the statements that came out from Mueller's office, uh, from the things that that we have seen uh, through this process. We hope to be able to finish up all of our work in the next couple of months to be able to get a bipartisan report out and to be able to get this done. Uh, but I don't want to jump in and be able to say what the final conclusion is because I'm one of 15 on this. Right. So
1: not 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 a not a clear signal yeah, there's, either I'm, I'm way. Not, I'm yeah.
2: not trying to signal one way or the other. Sure. I'm just trying to say that, that I, I need to stay out of the business of being able to say what we're going to say.
1: Understood. And, and I know you've been following the developments uh, out of New York, uh, just 24 hours old now, yeah. uh, very closely. And the, the president has outlined what he says are some policy changes, including some recommendations. And he wants to end entirely the diversity lottery. He's portraying, the White House is portraying it as basically an open door for terrorists. What is your view on that? You think Congress is poised to act as quickly as the president wants in terms of Ending a diversity lottery and and also bringing in some other major changes to immigration.
2: I would say I I had a concern about the diversity lottery long before this, uh, and I'm not alone on that. The the way we set up our immigration system, we're actually the most liberal, open immigration system in the world. We have a million people a year that legally go through our process of immigration from all over the world. But we have this system set up where 50,000 people can randomly be selected to be in our process. Now, that doesn't mean they're randomly selected and the next day they move over and they actually are American citizens. They still have to go through vetting. They still have to go through background. All those things still have to be done. Uh, But uh, there's not a reason for us to have a visa lottery system. Our system, I believe, should be set up based on the needs of the United States. If we need more computer engineers, if we need more stonemasons, if we need more – Uh, other types of engineers, whatever it may be, then we should say if we can't find that person in the United States, we're open to that regardless of what country that they're from, and to be able to help identify those. But to just say you you don't bring anything unique to the country, you just happen to be able to literally win the lottery, and you get the ability to be able to come to the United States, I don't think makes sense. You don't have a family connection. You don't have a certain vocational connection. You just wanted to come. That doesn't help us as a nation. And I think our immigration system should be designed, as most other countries design it, for the benefit of that home nation.
0: How much of an appetite is there in Congress for changing that? Uh, Do do you think, realistically, that's something we heard the president today uh, call for?
2: Well, I would would say it this way. Uh, If the president called for it today, then all of my Democratic colleagues are going to say it's a terrible idea tomorrow, Uh, or maybe later on today. And and I wish that wasn't so. There there is quite a conversation about it and has been for a long time, uh, because I I really do think our system is set up uh, in an old construct. Uh, that on the visa lottery, especially if we're going to allow a million people in Let's make sure that's a million people that are coming to contribute to society and that are coming with a certain skill that we need Not just that they won the lottery and they get a chance to come to the United States our immigration system uh, Shouldn't be set up just because we think everyone in the world should have a shot to become an American It should be set up based on the fact that we have certain needs as Americans uh, similar to what they do in Canada or into the UK or into Australia. Multiple other nations say we build our immigration system based on what's best for the country.
1: As you know, the program was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush almost 30 years ago. In your view, is it fair to blame Chuck Schumer for for that law, as the president seemed to do on Twitter?
2: No, I, I, I don't blame Chuck Schumer for that. Uh, that. There 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 are plenty of other issues and areas where we can agree and disagree and we can be able to work together on it, but I don't, I don't blame Chuck for that. My My main issue is we we see the weaknesses that are obvious in it We are not going to have an unlimited open border uh, for anyone to be able to come in from anywhere in the world, and this is just a gap in our system. Uh, I know there there was a a genuine sense back in the day, decades ago, to say, hey, let's be fair to anyone in the world that they could become an American, but I still think we're not in a system that we want to allow anyone in the world to be an American. We want to be able to set up a system that's best for the country, and uh, there are certain talents and skills that we desperately need in the nation uh, of all types. Some of those are day labor, and some of those are are high skill high-trained positions. Uh, let's focus in on those.
1: And Senator, before we let you go, I, I, you've got a new op-ed uh, out talking about Senate rule changes. And, and look, I've been covering this, and John's been covering this for a long time. Uh, we've heard so much over decades about potential changes to Senate rules to try to increase efficiency. I'm intrigued by your proposal because you're, you're preserving the filibuster, but, but trying to move ahead a little bit more expeditiously on, on right. judicial nominations. Do you have any sense of traction with your colleagues, including maybe some Democratic colleagues who get on board? Obviously, both parties complain about these things.
2: I am absolutely meeting with Democratic colleagues and Republican colleagues alike uh, on the issue about moving nominations forward. Uh, President Trump has faced 47 cloture votes for his nominees. That is more than all presidents in history combined in their first year uh, of coming uh, for nominees. This is uniquely different. Uh, No other president has faced this kind of slowdown on being able to move nominees. Now, my conversation with Democratic colleagues is, I understand you're in the moment to say, I want to resist. I, I understand where you're coming from on that. The problem is it's setting a precedent that the next time there's a Democratic uh, Senate, uh, president, the Republicans in the Senate are going to feel an obligation to be able to do the exact same thing. That is not helpful to the country long term. Uh, this is the first time ever that there's been a situation where the president's come into office and not be allowed to be able to bring his own staff on board. And and it, to be able to shut that down.
0: And if I can just pull a Columbo on you and say one more question, even though Rick
2: just said that was the last question. Hey, you know what? I'd be glad to be able to tell you about the proposal as well. So yeah,
0: <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk to you more about that. But before you 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 really go, um, you, you mentioned at the at the top of this that that you don't you know you hope that this special counsel investigation doesn't go forever. And you're exactly right. We've seen special counsel, independent counsel investigations go on for for years. Um, what, what is your sense in reading what Mueller did on Monday? Are we at the be beginning of the process here or, or the end of the process because the White House seems to be expressing this optimism that Mueller is going to wrap up soon. But to me as a layman reading what, what he was particularly the Papadopoulos uh, uh, in uh, plea deal, I didn't get the sense this is somebody wrapping up anytime soon.
2: You know what I really can't tell. It, that, that, that's an impossible one to be able to really see. And I know I, I heard the, the White House's statement on that as well I think that uh, they believe this is towards the end. I hope that they are correct. Uh, because th- this is an issue that I really don't want to drag on for years and years. I want him to be able to finish his work and to be able to close the back of the book and to say we resolved everything, we looked at it to give some confidence to the American people uh, that this is a resolved issue, uh, but I also want him to be able to not drag it on forever as well.
0: All right, Senator Lankford, I appreciate you joining us here in Powerhouse Politics, and we look forward to checking in with you again. Sounds good.
1: And he's got Thank one of the great radio voices of the Senate. Yes, put that's us out why of we wanted to have him here, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Senator.
0: Thank you. You bet. Take care. Um, so, Rick, um, uh, you know, good, good, good. Pulling out the rules change. It's uh, I, I just have flashbacks every time this issue comes up. And Langford is is an interesting uh, figure in the Senate because he does seem to be one of those those kind of endangered species that actually does try to uh, uh, work in a bipartisan manner he's very conservative but he but he's but he he's not overly partisan in everything he does he likes to work with democrats but man senate rules is 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 just been the 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 Place where you see more hypocrisy, pure hypocrisy than anything in Congress. It seems yeah. to me. I mean, I yeah. remember, you know, the nuclear option was something you know uh, Mitch McConnell screamed bloody murder about when uh, when Harry Reid did it, and then he, he takes over, and then he, it's, I mean, it's it's on and on again. It's when you're in power, when you are the majority party, you see Senate rules in a very different way than when you're the minority party.
1: Yeah, it's one of the where you stand depends on where you sit things. But I I I, I think. One but of I think
0: the, he's he's a little different though. I think he's got a serious. Uh, you know, I think, he's t- I think he is taking this seriously.
1: And one dynamic may be the generational shift, because Senator Lankford's yeah. part of this new wave, and it's kind of a youth movement of people only in their 40s and 50s, <laughs> as opposed to 70s yeah. and 80s, taking over the Senate, and, uh, and maybe they get some traction around that. But he's also one of these guys, I mean, you heard it in the interview today, he's uh, he's not going to follow blindly behind the, the president's lead or S- Steve Bannon's lead is generally be supportive of the of the priorities. But you um, realize he, he said gotten, the Russians would love it if uh, yeah. if
0: they took Bannon's advice.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's not his job to protect people who were you know evading their taxes or taking phone calls they shouldn't have. I think that's that's a, a pretty stark difference with uh, some some of his colleagues or at least some of the, the outside people who are advocating for the president.
0: All right, well, Rick, I don't know if you heard, we did have a photo lid. Uh, 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 did you hear that? During I did. The interview? I did. It's yes, very we, we exciting. are at the White House. We get we can't we can't control when the notifications come in, even though I in a am in a sealed radio booth here. Um, but uh, but that is all the time we have for this edition of Powerhouse Politics, Rick. Next time we do this, I'm going to be in Asia. I'm going to be in Asia for uh, I, I leave on Friday for the president's trip: uh, Japan, South Korea, China, Vietnam, the Philippines. We'll find a place to do powerhouse politics somewhere over there. I also want a, a complete menu. I want a, a complete readout <laughs> of where you've gotten to eat. Some exotic locales, I'm hoping. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try. We'll try, especially the Philippines. You know. uh, anyway, thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. Talk to you again soon.